Hello, Thunder fans and non-fans and listeners and just people along for the ride. I'm Christine Butterfield here with Ryan Chapman. The Thunder won tonight, 109-107. to 107. Kind of shocking seeing how the game was going and seeing what it looked like, the pace that the Hornets were doing, how well they shot in key areas of the game. But when you look back on this game, though, the Thunder actually played better than presumably thought. And Darius Baisley had one of the best nights he's had to date. He had 15 points, 10 rebounds, and he was 7-12 from field goal range. Al Horford was kind of stopped in the beginning. He only ended up with three points, but then SGA obviously had a huge night along with the game-winning shot. Ryan, I just wanted to ask you before we get into this, were you expecting the Thunder to pull out this game from what they looked like after the first quarter? No, I mean, the, the first quarter was okay, I think it was the second quarter where Charlotte kind of started to go on their little run and you had to wonder, okay, one of the storylines we had out of preseason is we think this starting five will be okay for the Thunder. And then once that second unit comes in, that's where things get pretty dicey. That's what we saw. Then on top of that, you had, you know, game one, obviously in Houston scheduled game one was postponed because the Rockets are on fire right now. Not in a good way. You started to wonder, okay, you've got the dicey second unit plus maybe the Thunder a little gas, a little winded. Then all of a sudden, Christine, out of halftime, oh my God, the defensive intensity got ratcheted up. The Thunder were rolling. They were up, Christine, by 13 points. They were up 102 to 89 with 213 left in the fourth quarter. And uh, of course, we'll get into that, the final two minutes and things like that. But look, this was a... uh, this was a bad night for Team Tank as the Thunder came out of the gate. They looked pretty good, and, and they started to figure it out there in the, in the second half. Yeah, and it was it was kind of surprising to see the disparity between the starting five and the bench. Obviously, that's including Aleski Pokashevsky, who was zero for six tonight, and they were all three-point shots. And, you know, you kind of think someone at that size, yes, he's not as comfortable with the ball yet, but you would think that he would do a better job of getting to the rim, of trying to get into that contact, because someone of his height would be able to get some calls going his way, get some easy free throws. But it doesn't seem like he's even confident enough to do that yet. Do you think that this is just something that's going to happen with time for Poku? Or do you think he's kind of just getting in the rut of trying to put up these threes because that's what he thinks the NBA is? I, it's his first game. Let's... It, what do you mean it's his first game? He's he's had some preseason games. Pre- okay, preseason versus the regular season is like two totally different uh. worlds in in the NBA. And it's his first game. Now, it is a little I, I don't know. I don't want to throw the word concerning on anything. It's it's the first game, one of 72. But I would say concerning. You would say concerning. I'm I would say concerning. He's not even looking to go to the rim. He just He's wide open from the three, obviously, because he never <laughs> seems to be able to make that shot. He shot puts it, and obviously it doesn't go in. They come up short most of the time. And he doesn't even see the lane as a advantage to him to try to get a call, to try to get some contact. He just seems to be able to think that he's going to put up threes. So, I mean, for me, it's slightly concerning. That's not what we saw out of him in preseason, though. Like, you were talking about preseason – I think it's just one of those things that it is literally his first NBA game. He just turned 19 years old. The skill set that Sam Presti and the Thunder drafted him for is exactly what you're saying, Christine, the, of that you know just mismatch, his size, uh, his ability off the dribble, things like that. And the three-pointer, if that starts to fall, that's only going to open that up for him because you know defenses have to pay attention to him a little bit more aggressively. He can, he can get some defenders off balance, get to the rack, things like that. But I 
think that we really just need to tamper down the expectations because, again, it is Pokashevsky's very first live action NBA game. Uh, Christine, we can kind of talk about this Hornets defense and the way and, and the pace they try to play out, the way they were flying around. None of the nobody in preseason's playing like that, much less that Spurs team or, or the Bulls that the Thunder played twice. Like it's just a different style of defense. Mike Muscala kind of talked about that in, in the post game. He's like, yes, it's the first game, but it's it's just a different style of defense that the Hornets were really, you know, buzzing around the court defensively. Uh, that energy level was so high. Like I, I don't think it's anything to be concerned. What would be concerning is if we look a week from now, two or three games from now, and Pokashevsky hasn't even attempted to, you know, take a defender off the dribble, get to the rack, something like that. Because that tells you that obviously once they get back and, and watch this film, if we're seeing it, Coach Dagnall's going to see it, you know, that coaching staff's going to see it. So if in a week, two weeks, a month, we're still talking about this, that's when you should start to hit the panic button because obviously something's not clicking, the, the speed of the game's too fast for him, he's just not being able to read it, not learning from his mistakes, stuff like that. But uh, it was just one game tonight, and uh, this was what you expected out of Pokashevsky. It's it's going to be a two, three, four-year process for him to, to become a you know key contributor in the NBA. I'm not saying it's like pump the brakes on this guy now type of deal. I'm just saying that the fact there was not even an attempt is where I find it slightly concerning. I didn't, I didn't mean like it's concerning now (laughs) they should just trade them off. Like it's, it's not a big deal, but if it continues on and it trends for the next couple of games, that's when you have to think, okay, check out your size, check out your frame, maybe go towards the rim. But speaking of going towards the rim, the Oklahoma city thunder nailed it in the paint tonight. They were just, going to the rim, finding their shot, and they did a really great job of also pushing the Charlotte Hornets away from the rim. They tended to guard the perimeter very well, and we talked about the pace a little bit, and I want to get into that now because I really feel like when I was watching this game and I saw how quickly the Hornets were passing the ball around and moving it, you it seems like they were playing an elevated style of basketball. It seemed like they were playing a little too quick for the Thunder to keep up with, but then you kind of – started to look at the efficiency level that the Hornets were playing at. And throughout the game, they weren't really (laughs) shooting that well from the three. They made key threes and key points in the time, and that's how they stayed in this game, especially in the last two minutes. But when you look at it as a whole, Ryan, even though they were able to push the pace and they were able to, you know, make these great plays and make these great passes, they weren't able to find the payoff in making those shots. So do you attribute that towards how well the Thunder were doing defensively or maybe just – the Hornets biting off more they could biting off more that they can chew from the offense. So I like I think this is what the Hornets are going to want to be with some of their additions. Obviously LaMelo Ball kind of they didn't quite hand over the keys to to the Ferrari quite yet to LaMelo, but I, I feel like this is what the Hornets want to be. So I think that it, it was the perfect intersection, the first half specifically, of the Hornets were able to come out with a bunch of energy. And because the Thunder hadn't played a game yet, because there are so many new pieces on that Thunder team, Christine, like I felt like the Thunder were, were taken aback a little bit. And, and that kind of papered over some of the cracks in what the Hornets were trying to do. You talk about how they, they weren't very efficient. You're right, because I, I was talking with you, you know, before we got on here, and I was surprised because in that first half, my memory was, wow, the, the, the Thunder are not defending the three-point line very well. Some of the problems from last year kind of, you know, resurfacing things like that then I looked down and I think the Hornets ended up being just like shooting five of 14 in the first half from three which I looked down and go 
well, maybe it was just those those timely threes, things like that. I think once the Thunder were able to get into the locker room at halftime and breathe for a minute, I, I think they were able to kind of diagnose what was going on. And, and I thought they came out, obviously played really good defense in the second half, held the Hornets close to 30, 31% shooting. But what were your thoughts kind of on this is the first time in a real live game, not a preseason game where you're kind of just trying to get everyone minutes, things like that, that we saw Mark Dagnall have to adjust on the fly, adjust his rotations, things like that. What what did you you know what what did you think you saw in that third quarter and are you optimistic for what Dagnall can do or is it just too early to tell? You know, I found it really intriguing how he decided. Like I, he was very calm. Yes. Looking at this entire game as a whole, he was absurdly calm, which is kind of one of those old school beliefs of oh, if everything's crazy happening around you, if you're the one totem that's staying calm, then everything will probably turn out okay. And seeing that in Mark Dagnall tonight gave me hope towards the future for the Thunder. Um, I thought he made some very good decisions um, down the stretch, especially in their backside rotations and in making sure that the team just obviously believed in themselves and was confident in their abilities. And I mean, even George Hill said this in post game whenever he uh, they're talking about how not playing against Houston on the 23rd affected this game. I think you asked that question, Ryan, yeah, in post-game. I'm flipping my hair for everyone listening at home. Shout out. Yes, you're you're and welcome indeed. So you asked them um, if that you think would have affected the way that they came out tonight. And, you know, he did say, yeah, I think we came out a little bit flat. We could tell, you know, we were a little bit tired going into the first time out. But after that second time out, they just kind of got their shit together and absolutely <laughs> figured it out. They were shooting well, they were attacking the rim and just their defense was just so strong, rotating really well, picking up guys at the right time. And even though there was a lot of three point shots attempted by the Hornets, they were not as efficient as I'm sure they're used to being. And I'm sure they're used to thinking that they can accomplish. So I think they did a lot from that standpoint. And I think that Mark Dagno, like we were talking about before was a key point in making that happen yeah for sure and just to kind of emphasize what you're saying there from from 10 23 in the third quarter till 6 15 the thunder extended on a quick 16 to 2 run which kind of flipped the game on its head and set up what we would kind of be talking about for the entire second half was that the hornets were coming at the thunder and, and the thunder you know the lead would kind of shrink a little bit and then all of a sudden they'd come up with three or four defensive stops They'd go down and they'd, they'd move the ball really, really well on, on the offensive end. Um, shout out Billy Donovan for uh, making his way back into the pod. They moved the ball really, really well. Really, really great. Yeah, they were really, really great. They played with great intensity, great effort. But, uh, yeah, the Thunder came out, and, and in that third and fourth quarter, they flashed what uh, looks like a, a team that can win. A supposed a future. Well, they play more consistently like that all the time. Yeah, w- win on a consistent basis, not yeah. be the 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 tankathon, you know, uh, number one overall pick contenders that we think of. They they were playing just that that basketball. It didn't. Yeah. Look like, it wasn't like like George Hill obviously w- was unconscious tonight. You know, uh, I think you said it earlier, but you know, twenty one points on eight of nine shooting, four or four from deep. The bank was open in Charlotte for George Hill. But like outside of that, it was it wasn't stuff that you're going, oh my gosh, there's no they're all playing unconscious. There's no way that we would ever see this again. It was it was just simple, good ball movement, easily replicable things that the Thunder can take and build on from game to game. Now we will get to those last two minutes because that is yeah. the that is the concerning <laughs> thing. But that's an area of growth that we need to talk about with Shea Gillis Alexander. But uh, up until that point, 
in that third and fourth quarter, you're going, this is really solid basketball, and it's a really good foundation to, to kind of form an identity for the franchise because I, that's what I want to see most in this next chapter of Thunder basketball. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like, Christine, the Thunder were unlucky in how they constructed the team with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, all that stuff, but they were unlucky because they weren't building a team identity other than we have Durant, we have Westbrook, we have size, and we have length. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they built to beat the Lakers and then LeBron came along and all that it, stuff. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where they just built around what they were given. They didn't get to decide what their identity was going to be from the start and they didn't get to decide what their culture was going to be. They just kind of clung on to the stars that they had, the talent that they had. And they're like, okay, since we have this, we're going to just roll with it. And now I feel like the Thunder are finally able to kind of just circle back and really think about what they want their brand to be for the next couple of years, what they want their team to look like and what they want this city to kind of all come together as right. and support. So it's going to be really fun to see how they kind of build upon that game after game. And like you said, Ryan, in the third and fourth quarter specifically, it was some really fun basketball to watch. Like you can see where this team can grow into something really incredible in the next couple of years. They had flashes of greatness. They had flashes of potential. They had a lot of good things going for them. And then the last two minutes happened. Yes, we need we so need to we, di- we need to dive in. We got to get into this. Okay, so let me set the let me set the tone. Okay, set the stage. I'm gonna close my eyes and kick back and just imagine what is happening as Del Curry is yelling at us. As Del Curry is <laughs> yelling. So we got George Hill. He's killing it four for four. Everyone's on a high note. SGA has a bunch of points and he's just feeling himself. We got Dort in, somehow making points. So we have 102. Somehow. Somehow making points. He was getting to the rim. I was proud of, I was proud of him because, you know, the last couple of games, it hasn't been too pretty, but he finally got back on the board and more power to him. So Oklahoma City is leading 102 to 89. So they're leading by 13 points with around two minutes to go, two minutes and 13 seconds to be exact. And with lead... At that magnitude, you're kind of like, okay, it's, it's wrapped up at this point. Like, let's uh, – they've, they've been doing strong this full game. It's been a good four quarters of basketball. Good job for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then, SGA has two turnovers after Darius Baisley has the first turnover. So, we have Darius Baisley turnover, SGA, two turnovers, another SGA turnover. Then, George Hill, who's been hitting it this whole night, very confident with the ball. Turns the ball over. And every single time the Hornets get down the f- down the court, they make this effortless three and then just run back. And it's three after three after three. Bridges was lethal in the last two minutes. Oh, deadly. Absolutely deadly. And this amazing perimeter defense that, you know, you've been watching this entire game and they've been keeping up with this full four quarters decimated within play after play after play and they then it goes down to one possession and then the thunder get you know two free throw shots then it goes down to down by one then the game is tied and then SGA decides to just come up and just and by the way usually I would say go to the rim easy shot get the foul you're gonna be fine but you know he he dukes this guy out, big crossover, 
sees the long two, which usually terrible decision. Very, very inefficient shot usually. to have your foot to have your foot on the three point line and just and pull say, up. That that is, in my opinion, the worst shot in basketball. Having your foot on the three point line and saying, you know what? Let me just hit this real quick. So inefficient, like you said, Ryan. So stupid. Yet when it happens and it's and you only have a couple seconds left, it's okay. Look, it's not it's, a, fine. it's not a bad shot if it goes in, right? No. I mean that was that was like Chris Ball last season, right? Like, you know, mid range jump shots are not an efficient NBA stat. Like we shouldn't allow our players to shoot that, but then when he keeps making them, you're like, Well, it's okay. Yeah, it's they're inefficient unless you're good at them and then they become very efficient. There's definitely a place. But I, I I'm happy you mentioned Chris Paul, because I think this last two minutes is kind of indicative of, of the growth process. And we saw this last year. Um, I, you know, the first two or three games were very, very ugly for the Thunder, but they had that really bad start, and Chris Paul kind of talked about it. Steven Adams talked about it, that this was a young team, young pieces, and they just have to be in those situations and learn how to win. And this is exactly what you want. The ball was in Shea Gildas Alexander's hands. Yes, he finished with 24 points. Yes, he had that game icing two with what was it like two point whatever sec 2.4 seconds left i think around the clock but then you start looking back okay he had those three turnovers in the last two minutes he was eight of 20 like i think this is just the growing pains that you're gonna have to go through this is the first time that shea gildas alexander has been given the ball and said go forth shea you have the keys to the kingdom so of course it's gonna take a feeling out process he he has the the greenest of green lights he's gonna take some bad shots he's gonna have some bad turnovers and you have to hope, you know, it's great that the Thunder won this game, but even if they had lost it in those last two minutes, even if it was the worst case scenario, you had totally blown the lead. I'm okay with that because you're yeah. putting him in these situations. And Shea, of all people, we kind of talked about this with Poku, but Shea has shown us last year that he would be put in these situations late. He would do something that, that was less than ideal, didn't really make the great play. And then three or four games later in a similar situation, he showed improvement. He showed that he could learn from these things. So I think this is exactly what you want. You were able to, for a two-minute window, get your young star the ball. There was no Chris Paul to, to kind of run the offense off ball. Yes, George Hill was playing great, but George Hill, we've seen since he's been here, has been all about the process and, and everything that's going on. And I, like it's just exactly what you want to see out of Shea, even if he hadn't made the shot. It's yeah. great that he did make the shot because we, we see some – early evidence that maybe he does have that clutch gene things like that but like i'm Ugh. cool with those turnovers christine i'm cool with him missing those free throws because uh, like for now because well, no, he's I mean, gotta honestly, learn i i'm slightly okay with the turnovers although i have to say three turnovers in two minutes like it's bad very very not good i mean <laughs> another you good would, billy donovan impression but you would prefer him to have no turnovers and make all of his free well, throws i know but I, I, well here's the thing you have you have to understand the consequences to those actions and the consequences to making three turnovers practically in a row with two minutes left is the fact that you had a substantial lead that was now diminished because of quick turnovers back to back to back now he is lucky that he made four for six at the free throw line and honestly that game was one of those free throws because if he didn't make those free throws it wouldn't have even mattered if he hit that game winning shot because it wouldn't have been irrelevant at that point so Shea Gillis Alexander won the game at that free throw line and that's where I know that 
you know, like everyone's like, oh, the the last shot was amazing. And like, that's where this clutching is coming in. And it is, but also it's coming in, in the calmness of understanding the pressure and being able to make those shots when you know it's kind of all coming down on you right now. And that's exactly what they want from Shay. And that's what they got from him <laughs> in the last part of the stretch when he was able to make those shots and come through. If you heard that, that was someone really special downstairs. Yes, yes. our good friend has arrived who who remained faceless and nameless. The dog, however, and I made big strides tonight while watching yes, this game. Yes, congratulations on bonding with Frida, the dog that hates all humans that aren't females or named Brady. Thank you. You know, I think that was the true victory of tonight was me getting this validation from dog from this yes, dog. Yes, you want the dog. Yes, absolutely. You know, as I was focused on watching this Thunder team actually pull out a substantial and solid win, I was also half focusing on making sure this dog really, really liked me. Yes, fair. But so if if you may, if if you'll permit me to sure. to transition back to Thunder basketball yes. and Shay, one thing to think of though is yes, he did have those three turnovers, but I remember last year before the shutdown before the weird times when the thunder were hosting the boston celtics shea was given an opportunity to basically win that game mm-hmm. on the last possession mm-hmm. and it was a very similar situation to what we saw tonight he it looked like he was trying to go to the rack he initially had kind of put marcus smart on his heels a little bit and obviously marcus smart much better defender than anyone charlotte's thrown out there but i i kind of like that in that game Shea, you know, kind of put Smart on his heels, tried to blow by him, and Smart was able to rip the ball out, and ultimately that iced the game. Shea here, though it was, you know, the inefficient shot that we're going to bag on of, of having one foot on the three-point line, all that stuff, he recognized, okay, I know the that plan A is to get to the rack, but when you've got a, your defender on roller skates going toward the tunnel, it's not the worst thing in the world to just to pull, pull up, up mm-hmm. take that shot. And I think that's the important thing is that's that growth and yes, it's a year-to-year thing, and it's kind of hard to take that, but that's what I mean when I really like Shea's acumen for just like being able to see mistakes on film and try to adjust it. Even if he's still not able to make the play, he's trying to make the right play as opposed to turn the ball over doing the wrong thing. And that's just that's what you want. The, the guys that you're looking at this year, Shea, Baisley, Dort, to a certain extent, you know, Poku, Maldon, guys like that, like, this is what the Thunder need, regardless of how many wins or losses. They could win 60 games, but if they're winning on the back of Horford and Hill and it's not those young guys, I think that you would consider that a negative to what they're trying to do. So so seeing Shea be put in those situations, and you hope that they'll be put in those situations a lot more as the year goes on, that's the real value from this victory. Yeah, you know, George Hill also talked about this in the post game where he said that he doesn't – when he's – thinking about his shot he's not focuses on percentages he's not focused on you know making a certain shot at a certain point in time he's really focused on reading the situation and finding the shot that he knows is best for him to take right and I think that's exactly how Shea approached that last shot too because like you said Ryan he probably you know who knows maybe he flashed back to that point last season maybe he didn't either way he was able to recognize that okay you know logic says go to the rim right but situationally, I have the space now. I got the space. Probably didn't know his foot was on the line. Maybe he did. Regardless, he knew that he had the space to take the shot. And he was shooting efficiently pretty well tonight. Yeah. So he knew that you know he had a greater than not make chance of making the shot. And he know, long story short, it was for the better. But looking f- 
Oh, real quick before yeah. before we move off Shay too. Um, I know for one, I hammered him in the bubble for being laughable on the defensive end of the floor, specifically oh, yeah. specifically in that Houston series. I think tonight we saw some some pretty good things from him. He, there was one time. Um, I can't remember if it was in the first half or the second half in the restricted area. He came up with a big block. Um, well, I know that uh, that Roser watched him fly by yeah, on scary, one. on Scary Terry. The only thing scary about him is his sideburns because yikes. And Mr. his pump fake, but continue. Yes, Mr. Rogier. But uh, I-, I thought Shea's defensive effort was a lot better. I know that this is something that uh, Mark had kind of, Mark Dagnall had kind of highlighted um, in the few times we got to talk to him before the season started, that you know, defensively is where Shea wants to take that step forward. Shea's talked about it. I thought he did a much better job. He was much more engaged, in my opinion, tonight on ball. He was, you know, helping with the rotations off ball, and that's again just one of those other things of we know that he grew on the basketball, pulling seven rebounds. That was something that he worked on last year of being able to get involved because if he can get the board, they can just push into transition quicker, stuff like that. Like that's nothing new to Shea, but. Being able to, again, have those clutch moments late where, where the whole game's resting on your shoulders, his defense. Yeah, 8-20 shooting, I have to believe that he'll kind of mop up his shot selection just as he is more comfortable initiating the offense all year long. Yeah, I do think he looked slightly better on the defensive end, although it wasn't enough for me to, you know... S- feel like I've seen true improvement yet right. from him. Well, I And I have high expectations for Shea Gilles-Alexander, mainly because of the fact that everyone is naming him the future of the Thunder, and yeah. he's supposed to be the guy. So in my head, I'm like, okay, if you're going to be the guy, play like the guy. And even though we have seen you know slight improvement on the defensive end, we saw a lot of improvement offensively the past couple of games by him. He still has a long way to go before he is like actually acting, playing like the guy. And it's not as aspirational. So let me ask you this. In in our The Guy Power Rankings, official The Guy Power Rankings. Official, he's the man. Yeah, official official face of the franchise. You got Shea, number one? Or is is Darius Baisley in uh, danger of threatening and, and creating a little inter-squad controversy here? Because Baisley, he was doing it all tonight. We mentioned his turnover there late. But 15 points on 7-12 to 12 shooting, 10 rebounds. He was super active defensively. We want to talk about Shea improving defensively. Darius was actually locked in. Yeah. Dagnalt talked about it. Uh, Mike Muscala talked about it That he, because uh, I kind of asked him. I was trying to see, hone in, is it just he's reading the game better? Is he just more locked in? Like, what has been this jump that we saw all the way back in the bubble? And Muscala kind of said his focus on the defensive end of the floor and, and turning that defense into offense have, have you seen more from Baisley that gives you hope for the future, or are you still thinking SGA is going to be the number one here in Oklahoma City? You know, I don't want to seem like I'm going with the hot hand here because the hot hand would say Darius Baisley right now right. has the maybe the higher projected ceiling and also could be the face of the franchise. But even at the beginning of the season, I was really – because I'm very skeptical when people automatically, without seeing any improvement ever, I'm like, this one's going to be the one to save the thunder. So you're looking at me like I, I'm crazy. No, I have such a bone to pick with a certain thing. Exactly what you said before we've seen a single game, people who are like, I've got Shea Gildas-Alexander keyed in as my most improved player Number this season. Number one to watch. And you're like, are you kidding me, bro? How do we – you can't project the most improved pl- – like, we have to watch them <laughs> and see who has improved the most. <laughs> you can't come into the season with, like, this guy's going to be the most improved player. Are you at practice every day? 
Because who's I, telling you this information? If you're if you're covering the Thunder, I know damn well you're not seeing a thing. So you can't project Yikes. anyone to be the most improved. I yeah, sorry, so this from is the just beginning. no. I I the, agree. The MIP award is stupid. First of all, like I think it's the dumbest award Why? in sports. It's just like most years. Whoever was, it, it's just like who made the biggest leap from year one to year two. It's not actually who is the most improved player. Like who is to say that well, the there's dude no who way gets to better. There's no way to measure. You can't be like, oh, over the past ten years, because then. You know, most of the players in the NBA aren't going to qualify for that. And then you're like, oh, I guess it's LeBron James. Like, you can't, like, it has to be year-by-year basis. No, I'm saying you can't really. Yeah, you have to look at year-by-year. But the people who win the award most often than not are guys that were rookies going to year two is what I'm saying. So It's never like a, wow, this guy went from this city in his fourth year, moved over to this team in his fifth year, and he found a better role and got a lot better. Like, that guy, I feel like, never gets – the recognition, like it's like this year, the people I see hyped up preseason are John Morant, Zion Williamson. Guess what? Those are rookies He's, moving into year. Yeah. Anyway, I just think well, it's it's the same. Like I'm not, I'm gonna bring him up because obviously, I mean, I don't know if the people know, but Devonte Graham was one of the people from his rookie season, sec- second season with the Charlotte Hornets, kind of blew up a little bit. He right improved immensely, and so he was kind of up for that award. I don't remember if he won or if he was runner up. Regardless. Yeah, I couldn't tell you who won it because it's a double award. Because you really don't give a yes. fuck. Um, but, Correct. Um, back to the Thunder. I was very skeptical whenever <laughs> everyone in the beginning of the season was like, oh, Shea's going to be the guy. It's all going to be on Shea. He's going to improve the most. He's going to be their go-to. And then I, I saw, like, I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, well, what about Darius Baisley? I feel like he's going to be underrated coming into this season, even though he's in the in the kind of the trifecta of they're right. like, okay, listen, it's going to fall under Shea Gillis alexander Darius Baisley, and Lou Dort. Right. Because obviously everyone was high on him after they saw him just lock up James Harden. So was I. Still think he's great. But I was thinking, I was like, no one's really talking about Darius Baisley as much as I thought they would heading into this season. And I wouldn't be shocked if he made slightly bigger strides than Shea Gillis Alexander, mainly because I feel like he just athletically like knows how to move his body better at this point in time than Shea does. Cause there's sometimes when Shea does like he'll try to get to the rim or he'll try to make a defensive stop where his limbs aren't really in the right place. Right. But also Darius is able to, he's because of his size and his length he's a positionless player and he can do a lot of things that Shea probably couldn't do or another center that's maybe as tall as him or slightly taller. Right. Could also not do. He's just able to, he's able to do a lot of different things at a lot of different places. And because of that, he looks like a well, a more well-rounded player than I think Shea Gillis Alexander ever will just because of his size. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said positionless there, because Darius Baisley is a guy that, we kind of talked about the jump that Shea made going into the bubble, um, especially finishing at the rim. Well, that kind of went away in that Houston series once they got into the bubble playoffs. Mm-hmm. Darius Baisley is another guy who took that huge jump. He just looked so much more confident in the bubble. And I, I think that what you said there about being positionless is, is really the key here. Darius Baisley has so many paths to the player he could become. He yeah. could, like you said, he could play as a ball dominant three he's kind of shown off some handles and some confidence to be able to get to his spot and take those shots in in the preseason obviously um tonight he did a really good job of of just working within the flow of the offense he could be that stretch four stretch five because once he gets going from three 
Um, he, he has a pretty sweet stroke, things like that. He can, yeah, he can shoot from the three. He has good enough handles, but also he has some solid post moves down low that allow him to get to the rim super easily, and he can block. He's not afraid to get contact or to force contact upon himself. Right. And I do think that, you know, in his playmaking ability, he has a good vision for the court. He also is very consistent in his passing. So he has a lot of different strengths, even though he's not perfect yet by any means. The glimpses I've seen from him over the past couple of games lead me to believe that he has a pretty high ceiling and yeah. that he's not going to, you know, disparage any, you know, improvement from then on. So Right. And and just think about this. What better two guys in year one, he got to spend a whole year with Steven Adams. Right. And we've talked about his defensive impact, the way he's reading the game. Who better than Steven Adams? Now, fast forward to year two, when you're kind of talking about what can he be offensively, Al Horford has kind of been... He was initially that dude. He was the standard for what a big yeah. man could be, how he can be active screening, you know, a shooter, stuff like that. Like, I, I would like to see Darius be a little bit more active, you know, getting his teammates open on the screens because I, I just want to see some pick and roll action with No, oh, I'd love to. Some pick and yeah. pop. Like, like he, he has the skill set that he can really put a lot of stress on the defense, and mm -hmm. I just feel like he hasn't unlocked that yet. So that it's just – he really? hasn't unlocked that to the potential that he could. Yeah, be. for I mean, sure. I feel like I feel like in moments there's definitely like, oh, what do you do against Darius Baisley? But eventually, I think when the next couple of years, we'll see that to be a more consistent problem for a lot of teams in the NBA. And yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But looking forward, the Thunder are playing the Utah Jazz in a couple of nights. Ryan, do you think that they're going to be able to build off of this positive momentum? Do you think that they're going to take some lessons from this game? Or do you think it's going to be, oh, Sam Pressy's going to be, you know, in management. Hey, um, Mark, uh, remember we're supposed to be tanking. So you guys, you guys gave a lot of hope, a lot of fun. But um, next game, I'm going to need you to just uh, dial it down a little bit. Christine, I'm going to be honest. When I hear Utah Jazz coming to Oklahoma City, I just hope they play the game. That's, <laughs> that's what I want. I want to see this game happen. But no, I mean, this will be a new challenge. We talked about it tonight. Oklahoma City dominated the paint. Now going up against Utah, Rudy Gobert just signed that big contract. This is a team that on paper you're not going to be able to dominate in the paint. Donovan Mitchell can do a lot different things than anyone in that Charlotte backcourt. No disrespect to your boy, uh, Mr. Graham. But, but, <laughs> but Donovan Mitchell, he's just on a different level. You've got the rim protection of Rudy Gobert. Like It's really interesting, and these are the, the matchups I like to see, especially because it's such a different – style of play like utah is not going to try and run you out of the gym they just want to like beat you into submission you know what i mean like they they have that style of basketball like the modern grindhouse than memphis it, it'll be so much fun to see a totally different challenge for shea and darius and those guys to attack and and it was funny because in that fourth quarter there were points that the camera panned to mark dagnall and he did look like he was about to, he was a guilty kid about to get called to the principal's office because they were winning so bad so he just seemed like he was scratching his head a little bit like oh he's no. like oh is this what we is this what i this is not what sam he's but like, yeah i i don't know he's like maybe maybe it'll be okay yeah you hopefully. know like let's like i feel like it was one of those cross my fingers i hope I don't get caught. Yes, for sure, for sure. So, like, I, I'm probably not going to go into any game this season predicting a Thunder win. Like, like Brady and I, when unfortunately you had to leave to, you know, do your other podcast with the the Madison Morris, who's dear and departed, Winning Women podcast. Find that wherever you find your podcasts. Christina Madison do a fantastic job. But oh my god, thanks for the plug. But on on that podcast after you left, Brady and I both did 
season win totals. And we both picked the Thunder to go over their win total. I believe at the time it was at 23.5. It's since dropped to like 20.5 because this team wants to win. They want to build a winning culture. They have all those draft picks so that they can package them and move forward. They don't need to be the worst team to have a top five draft pick. So, like... I, I do expect, like, I'm never probably going to pick them to win, but I, I expect them to be really competitive all season long. And you never know. Uh, next time against Utah, when that second unit has to get rolled out in the second half, they could just get killed again. And then it's the same thing we saw in the first half just twice, where they were strong early and, and then they taper off toward the end of the half. So I'm just excited because it, it's such a different challenge in the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people feeling some PTSD going to be a lot of emotions a lot of I don't want to say terror that's a that's a bit dramatic but you know a little bit of uneasiness and caution heading into this game as a lot of people are heading into 2021 so we're not there yet but we're almost there uh but we'll see you guys or listen to you guys hear you guys I don't know we could see them in podcast Will something with you know sometime next time at Radio's Ryan, at CB on Sports, for more content exactly like that, exactly what Christine as just said. As coherent as possible. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're on the OKC82 feed. Stay on that feed as a, a cast of characters, a Brady Trantham, Jerry Ramsey sometimes. Uh, it, it'll be a big rotation. Much like the Thunder are still trying to figure out their rotation and grow together, we are too. So keep it locked in here, game to game. You know that here on the the Total 72 podcast or whatever it is now that they don't play all these games. That we're always going to have some fun and Christine will drop an F-bomb, you know, so say the fuck word here and there. It's what the people want, you know. I try to give the people what they want. Um, Christine Butterfield here for Ryan Chapman. We'll see you guys next time.